You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Good to be back together, or if you're maybe here for the first time, to be here. See, that's going to be my problem. I'm going to drift with this thing. Um, it's good to be here because relationships are important. They're vital to us as humans, um, especially for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that. Jesus teaches us a lot about how to relate to each other properly and in a healthy manner. And so as we come together as the church, we get to practice that a lot and how to do that well and to get better at it. So it's a good thing. And so that comes through doing what we hear from his word and from the encouragement we get from each other and the iron sharpening iron and the things that happen that aggravate us and frustrate us and people say things and those things happen and we learn how to handle those things correctly between each other because it's not a matter of if something's ever going to happen between you and people or you know you stay around here long enough I'm sure I'll make you mad at some point and something I say or something I do because I'm not perfect either so um that you learn how to deal with that properly. It's not a matter of if one of those things happen, but when it happens, and when it happens, do we handle it properly, as Christ says we should, and grow and get more healthy. So it's good for us to come together this way and in small groups and as friends and just hanging out and ministering together. So glad you're here with us this morning. And we're going through the book of Mark in the New Testament. It's been quite a journey so far. And today we continue in chapter 9. We just came off of last week the big topic topic of the transfiguration, and there's so much more I could have gone into, but it's hard to cover and get through the book of Mark. Um, But we were just up on Mount Hermon, and the transfiguration occurred. And it's good, and understand this, because today is one of those days where I go, it's going to be a little different from last Sunday. Last Sunday was a lot of information and a lot of, wow, big connections, and here's how all this worked, and why this is, and how it ties to Revelation, and how it ties back to Moses and Elijah, and a lot of, of issues that we covered. And so there's sometimes you come in, and, and it feels like, well, these things are kind of on this upper shelf, and I can't quite reach them. But there's times you got to put some stuff down here on the bottom shelf that people can reach and allow them to grow. It's kind of that easier to digest kind of stuff, maybe. Um, it just depends on where you are. So today is a little more application heavy and not so much you know deep theological thoughts although it takes the spirit to reveal all those things to us for us to get it and put it into practice in our lives and so here we are we just came off the transfiguration last sunday jesus revealing his semi-glorified state to peter james and john and moses and elijah appeared with him and now they've come back down the mountain and this is where we pick back up with them as they come back down the mountain. And so we're in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 37. It's what we're going to cover today. And so it says this in verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, What are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. Now, um, what what you got going on here is uh, is someone. Some, some versions just say uh, epilepsy. Some versions will say he's a lunatic. I think it's the King James version that says he says my son's a lunatic, which in their time, uh, lunatic comes from the word Luna, so it's just they thought people could get moonstruck, like if they stared at the moon long enough, eventually they'd go crazy. And so so King James uses that version, but it's it's the same idea of he's having these fits where he just he describes how he goes in rolling on the ground, foaming at the mouth, that kind of thing. So he's got this spirit that causes him to have these fits. Uh, as he describes to Jesus, and it's interesting that I love how Jesus always, when the scribes are around, it's, it's kind of like the Pharisees, he likes to call them out publicly in front of everybody, like, what are y'all talking about, you know, just in front of everybody, so um, Jesus likes those public um, confrontations, I guess, not necessarily confrontations, but just like exposing what's going on so that everybody can get in on it and talk about it, and let me tell you how the right way is to go about this, and so... So he, at the end of this, he asked the father, he says, how long has he been doing this? As if he didn't know, right? So why did he ask? Same reason for calling them out. It's asked for the to, to benefit all those standing there. So they could hear, well, he's been this way since he was little. Like, this is uh, a serious condition. And it says, and he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. And when we read that, it's ridiculous to us, right? We think, really, he just asked if Jesus if he could do anything? Like, we read that and go, what kind of question is that? Why would somebody ask that if Jesus can do anything? And, and so often it's that way with us. Looking into somebody else's life, it's very easy for us to see, well, here's the right thing to do. Here's what's going wrong. But when we're in it, it's often so hard to see our perspective where we're off and where we're not. And so it's easy to look into somebody else's life and see their errors, right? But how many times have you prayed the same prayer, right? Jesus, if you can help. Jesus, if you can do anything. Jesus, if you're there. God, if you're there. If you can do anything, like, right, when the situation has been going on and you haven't seen the change and that you're wanting and it's gone on for a long time, don't we get there pretty easily? And we go from person to person, church to church, prayer to prayer, and eventually say, God, if if you can do anything, please help me. And time causes the doubt to creep in. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And I could spend all day on that one too and talk about faith. We may do that at a later time. But have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way where it's like, I, I believe, but then there's this other side of me that's just like, I don't know. Like, But I'm, I'm sure God's real, all these things, but but yet there's this part of me that just there's so much doubt and fear and insecurity. Like, I believe, but help that part of me that that doubts. 
Do you ever feel that way? Anybody? Okay. You, you believe that you have your moments, if we're being honest, right? I'm full on most of the time, but then that little bit creeps in. Like we start thinking, what if I'm really on the Truman Show, right? If you remember that movie, right? I'm, I'm glad you get that, okay? It's like, what, what, if, what if that's really going on? But as believers, we understand, we read Scripture, we arrest those thoughts, right? As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we arrest those thoughts and know that Jesus has touched our lives and that He is for real. Like there's things we can look at and go, only God could have done that. Only God can change a heart that way. Only God can heal that way. Only God could make those things happen. And so, as we saw last week, we, we've got to we got to put our faith in those times when we know God's for real. Don't doubt in the dark what we were very sure of in the light, right? And don't ever buy into this teaching that if it's not going the way you want it to, if you're not whole, it's because you don't have perfect faith, right? That's not what this is teaching. As though if you had perfect faith, you would be healthy, you would be wealthy. Or whatever. Obviously, this guy was lacking some faith, right? But Jesus heals the boy anyway. Okay, so obviously that is the wrong, wrong teaching. He acknowledges his lack of his lack of faith. He has some, but it's not perfect faith. So if that's how it works, the next time, if you think somehow that if it's it's this thing of, man, if you just had perfect faith, then your child would be healed. Well, the next time you have a friend who's a Christian whose child dies or family member dies, then you can just look at them and go, well, you know, if you just had perfect faith, this wouldn't happen. It's your fault. I mean, that's, that's, that's what you're saying when you believe that, right? And he, he acknowledges his lack of faith. I can't see anybody ever saying that to someone because it's just not what the Bible teaches. Jesus doesn't tell him, you know, hey, what, what, if you just, do not you go away because your faith isn't where it needs to be? It's not perfect. It's not full the way I require you to have faith. And so, uh, once you go, come back to me sometime when your faith is perfect, when, it's, when, when you've got the right amount of faith. You're just not there yet. Right? He doesn't say that to him. Okay. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, he came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and got, and he got up. Here again, Jesus touching someone and changing everything. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Well, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, "To them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer." That's NASB. Okay, different versions. About half the versions I looked at translations like King James. Um, New King James, Holman, Christian Standard Bible, a lot of those would say by prayer and fasting. Okay? 
and then another half would just say prayer, but you can just kind of include that together, and when you look at what was in manuscripts, prayer and fasting is, is pretty accurate, okay? And, and so, by prayer and fasting, it, it seems that faith to produce like extraordinary results happens by this means of prayer and fasting, but yet we so rarely tap into that, if ever, as Christians. Isn't that odd? Okay? We lack those two disciplines, prayer and fasting. And I, I think a big part of it is, I think it's why Satan so attacks us, why the world is so distracting, is is it's this thing of, if I can, Satan may think, if I can just get you busy enough, you won't have time for prayer and fasting. If I can get you into this state of thinking, it's just too uncomfortable. There's just too many health risks. There's all these factors that we go, I can't fast. If, if, if we can just get convinced, I just don't have enough time for prayer, I just can't focus, I don't know how to pray. We get all these excuses for prayer and fasting, that power gets shut down in our lives. It's just that simple. Satan loves to distract us, and the world so distracts us, and we get busier and busier, and we don't have time for either of those. Just, just think about why is that the common attack on people? Let me, let, you know, it's this thing of let me time wise max them out. If you're going to be effective for the kingdom of God, we know God wants to leverage your time, your talents, and your resources. So if, if Satan can just max those out, or you have none left, for anything else, you're ineffective for the kingdom. So hopefully you can reflect on your own life and go, I can see that I'm just I'm too busy to help and serve and minister and take time to sit and share Jesus with somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm too maxed out in my bills. I have no margin. So when it comes along and there's this person I could help financially, I could help this family, I could do something for the church, I could do some shoeboxes for some kids around the world, I just don't have it because I'm maxed out. I feel God prompted me to do these things, but I don't have time. I just, I got to use all that skill at work. I've got, I just don't have the resources. We live in such a marginless culture that we don't have any margin to give God for Him and the Holy Spirit to speak to us and go, do this. Much less fast and pray. Right? Busyness. It's because it's where the power is produced in our lives. Prayer connects us to God, and fasting disconnects us from self. You see how that works? Prayer is acknowledging our need for God, and fasting is denying ourselves. So to not pray and fast is to say, I really don't need God. I can do this on my own. I don't need to commune with God. I don't need to talk to God. I don't need His power. I, I'm good. I can handle this myself. When you don't pray and fast, that's what you're saying. Is You're saying, God, I don't really need to talk to you and get your input on this. I don't really need to deny myself because I can do it in my own power. This kind of help from God is tapped into by prayer and fasting. How many of you would say you 
I just, I'm the first one to hold my hand up. How many would say you need that kind of help from God? Health problems, all, kind, all kinds of issues going on. Okay. And that was most everybody in here, right? So if we need that kind of help, help, then why don't we pray and fast? I would put a lot on it, okay? That most of those hands that went up, if anybody has gone, maybe prayed about it like those driving down the road, God, just help me, okay? Get on with your day. But with the fasting part, don't really do that much, right? Token prayers. No fasting. He goes on in Mark 9. From there, it's verse 30. From there they went out and began to go through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know about it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. He's predicting his death to them right here. It's something he did often, and they just, they just go right over their heads. Right? And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. Like, he keeps talking about this, but I'm just afraid to ask him what it means because it just does not go along with our plan, right? It's like, wow, Jesus was clearly tells them the plan, and they just don't get it. Just like when Jesus tells us the plan for our lives, and we don't get it, right? We need to be reminded of his plan. The plan we're reading right here, we need to be reminded of that daily. Much less what else he wants to do in our lives. To understand what it meant for us for this plan to take place. And we're going to emphasize that here in just a little bit in taking the Lord's Supper and reminding ourselves what Christ did for us. Verse 33, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he began to question them. What they, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. Sitting back, that's kind of humorous, isn't it? Like you're, you're walking with Jesus going, which one of us is the greatest? It's going to be like his right hand man. It's like, who's going to be the the, the guy. There's a reason they're talking about this, okay? Sitting down, he, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in, in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. See, they're still thinking in their minds. He's laying out this plan. They don't get it. They're talking about who's going to be greatest in this political kingdom that's going to be set up. They're they're thinking Romans are going to be overthrown. We get everything back, right? I mean, we've seen that all throughout this whole book of Mark. But they just don't get it. That they they don't they don't get this plan. They don't think their Messiah is going to suffer and die. But rather, he's going to set up a, a rule over the world right now. It's it's not government takeover, right here. It's not. He's trying to explain to them that's not what I'm talking about. It's not government takeover. It's all about heart transformation, heart takeover. 
which then possibly could change a government. But it's not through that that hearts will change, it's through hearts that that the rest will change. When your heart changes by the touch of Jesus, it changes your view on the world. Changes your view about life. And God's economy is so different than the, the way we think. Right? Servant of all, first will be last. Like that, like that makes no sense in the world we live in, does it? And yet, you can think to yourself, who, who are the people you like the most, love the most, want to be around the most? It's people who help you, who serve you, love you in that way, who help you accomplish your goals, right? But yet, we think the way to be great is that people serve us. But we think people who are greater are people who serve, right? Like it just, it's counterintuitive. Like it just doesn't, we don't even make sense to ourselves, okay? But God gets it all straight and says, this is, my economy's different. The first are those who are last and the servants of all. Servants, chew on that for a while. If you want to be great, you're the servant of some, servant of the ones who can do something for you, servant of who? Of all. Like there's no qualifier on that. You're just a person who serves other people. Okay? I mean, we can just stop right there. Let's pray and chew on that for a while. And that, that, I mean, that's enough for me, right? The way to greatness in God's economy is to put other people's agenda first. Not yours. Do you know that makes you, when you're the servant like that, and you're putting other people first, it makes you a great husband. Makes you a great father, makes you a great wife, makes you a great son or daughter, teacher, or whatever role you might have in life, makes you great at it. Okay? Now, why were they discussing this right now? Okay, like what, what prompted this discussion? Who's the greatest of the disciples? Like, why would they be talking about that? Well, a few verses back, when we went to the transfiguration, right? Jesus pulls aside these three guys that, the, the, that he often pulled aside. It's like, I'm going to... Peter, James, and John, right? Why do these three guys always get to go on the mountain with you or get to do this with you? Or get, they get pulled in to pray with you in the garden. Why, like, why these three guys? Like, so, so they've just come off the mountain, and not only has he only taken those three guys and left the nine down at the bottom of the mountain... They come back, and the nine run up to him like, so what happened? What, what, tell us what happened. And they go, can't tell you. Right? Jesus told us we couldn't tell you. Like, what, if you were the nine, how do you feel in that moment? I just got shut out, man. I, guess, I just got pushed out of the inner circle. Like, I'm, just, I'm not part of that team over there. They get special treatment. They're, they're the favorites. They're, they're the teacher's pet, you know, right? Like, we're feeling left out. Jealousy sits sits in, and they begin to be worried about not being included in everything, right? Jesus isolated three and left out nine, and if you were one of the nine, how would you feel? And this doesn't stop here, 
I mean, later on, and this is in that six-month period, right, from the transfiguration to the time of the crucifixion. We're going from the Feast of the Tabernacles to the Passover. This is the time we've entered in, into, and so you've got um, later on Mrs. Zebedee, right? James and John. Mom, Mom's going to come to Jesus and go, Hey, Jesus, this question for you. Like, when, when you set up your kingdom, can my two boys sit on your right and left side, you know, up there on your throne and be your right hand and left hand, your, your main two guys. Do you think that's possible? I mean, Peyton, if your mom showed up at football practice, right, it's like, hey, coach, could, you know, could you think you could let my son be captain of the football team? Like, like your cool level, right, with all the other guys, like the other guys be like, his mom's over there asking, like, like, that'd be bad, right? Okay. Relay that information. Okay. Or when you go on to college, right? When you go on to college, mom shows up. That would be bad. So that, that, that's what they're like. This happens later on with Jesus. Like, they show up and they're like, I'm sure they're over there going, oh, mom. Right? But it happens. I mean, that's what they were worried about. Mom comes along and says, hey, Jesus, can Jim and John sit on your right and left hand, right? Kingdom is established. Not cool. Even in the upper room, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, right? They're still talking about it. And Jesus takes this child, picks him up, the touch of Jesus. A child, children love to be picked up and held and Whoever receives a child and cares for him or her like this, whoever cares for others the way Jesus cares for others, that's where it's at. He's saying that's the way to greatness. You're not seeing greatness. You're not understanding. This child can't even get There's nothing this child can give you back in the way that you're thinking in your economy. You're just serving someone else regardless of what you get back. Get back. And what should what should motivate us to care for people like this, to serve like this, to put ourselves last? What's our motivation? It's, it's to remember how Jesus served us. In our greatest need, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like in our worst of worst states, he still loved us enough to serve us. Like, so who is that person in your life that you go, I just can't serve, I can't, I just can't take that anymore. Like that, that just smacks us right in the face, doesn't it? I don't, it does me. Like I'm just relaying my feelings here, okay? Maybe you give up on somebody, you, you just, you get frustrated. Remember how Jesus served us, how he has touched our lives. All through these chapters of Mark, we have seen how Jesus touches people and changes them. That's what makes a difference in somebody's life. So that's to be our focus. And the motivating factor that is his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us, that love compels us, is what Scripture says. That's what drives us to be like Him and serve others the way He serves them. 
And this is like we're sitting here. I know there's people sitting here going, this is such elementary teaching on, on Jesus. Yeah, it is. But how quickly we don't do it, skip over it, right? And it eludes us. What makes a difference in somebody's life is that touch from Jesus. So we got to get people to Jesus. I mean, I think it's awesome what you see about this guy back here um, with his son bringing him to, to, to Jesus, right? And, and trying to get his son healed. Um, is this father didn't let his lack of faith, like he so cared about his son that he didn't give up. Like once the disciples couldn't do it, it's not like he stopped and went, well, they can't do it, so I'll just give up, right? It, it, it wasn't that way for him. We, we, we sometimes get so fed up, we go, well, that church let me down. Well, those church people let me down. Well, that pastor let me down. Well, that, you know, they couldn't do it. They couldn't help me. So I'm just done with all that. This person made me mad. That person did this, whatever. And, and we end up giving up on God, giving up on church, giving up on the body of Christ that we, we just, we think ultimately God has let us down somehow. But he didn't. I mean, our ultimate goal as parents is to get our kids to, to Jesus. And that's what this dad was trying to do. If I can just get him to Jesus, I know he can do something. It's not us that that ultimately does it, that, that causes that to happen, but it's the change, but it's our job to get people as close to Jesus as we can get them, and then he does the rest of the work, right? Ultimately doing that work through us in the first place. But that's what makes the difference in somebody's life. I, I came across this old poem, you may, you've probably heard it before, um, and I thought it was really good considering the touch of Jesus. It's, it's called the, the Master's Hand, and it goes like this. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it was hardly worth his while to waste so much time on the old violin, so he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bid, good folks?' he cried. "'Who will start the bidding for me? A dollar? Two dollars?' Got two dollars. Who will make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man stepped forward and picked up the bow. And wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up those loose strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angels sing. When the music stopped, the auctioneer, in a voice that was quiet and low, now what am I bid for the old violin as he held it up with a bow? A thousand dollars. Two thousand. Who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. Going and gone, said he. And the people cheered and some of them said, We don't quite understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply. The touch of the master's hand. 
And many a man with his life out of tune, battered and scarred by sin, are auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a song, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and he's almost gone. But the master comes, and the thoughtless crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. And so we read scripture and we see that how the master walked among the people, walked among his disciples, walked amongst the blind, the lame, and touched and healed and what God can do by touching a life and making it new. And so we're going to do the Lord's Supper this morning. I, I, it just fit with what I was talking about. We had planned to do it near Thanksgiving. We'll probably come back to it at Christmas because we probably don't do it often enough. But, but why this morning? Because He touched our lives. And by His death on the cross, shedding His blood, breaking of His body, and then rising from the dead, He touched our lives and we're made whole by that. And so we need to celebrate that. Like it's not just about high thinking and knowing great Bible thoughts and theology. We, we need to be so much more thankful than we often are. Did He change you? Like you, like you, you understand, if you've been around here a while, you understand my perspective. If, you, if He didn't change you, if you're not changed, you probably don't have what you think you have. Like it's not just prayer, prayer, do the IQ test and you know, okay, and then nothing ever changes. If the Holy Spirit doesn't take up residence inside of you and change you, and you're not like you used to be, it's, then there's something's off. Okay, yeah, two steps forward, one step back sometimes. It doesn't mean perfection at all. It just means, man, there is a, there is a progression over time where He's making you more and more like Christ. We, we have to celebrate that. Like if we got that and we understand the state we were in and now where we are, like there's nothing that should be more exciting to us. Nothing. Right? Did He change you? And if you don't know the Jesus that I'm talking about, if you don't know Christ as your Lord, I would recommend this morning that if, if that's not you, if you're not there, that you don't take the elements, the bread and the cup this morning. The Bible says you're drinking and eating condemnation on yourself when you do that. Not to scare anybody, but it's just what it means. And and you're just sort of adding to that. Okay? So don't take if you're not a believer, if it's not personal to you. Notice I didn't say don't take it if you're a struggling Christian, right? Notice I didn't say, if you've fallen short this week, like if you sinned yesterday or this morning, if you and your wife argued on the way to church or you sped on the way here, right? You can't take, because then none of us could really do anything, right? I didn't say that. You may say, well, I don't feel worthy. Right? It doesn't matter how you feel. I mean, honestly, really. What, what matters is, is do you believe the truth? Okay? 
Do you believe you belong to Jesus, He makes you worthy, then you take with boldness. To take in an unworthy manner, as the Bible says, is not to take, it's to take it without understanding the implications and not understanding the gospel, not having placed your faith in Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you don't take. If you're a Christian, you take, right? None of us are worthy. Jesus makes a way for us to be before God and be worthy. It's not anything we do. Okay? It's the work that He did on the cross. And so being worthy means you have placed your faith in Christ and what He did for you. Okay? But if you've never personalized the Gospel and received Christ as your Savior to begin with, you don't take, or better yet, you give your life to Christ right now. And you take this for the first time with great meaning. You say to Him right now, Lord, I receive You as Master of my life. I'm turning from my sin, from myself. I've tried to run my life. I've really just been enslaved to sin. And now I see Jesus and what He's done for me. He loved me even while I was in my worst condition. Even when I was an enemy of His, He loved me, died for for me. And so I turn, that's that repent thing, I turn from myself and my sin, and I turn to Jesus. And now He's going to run my life. He's who I'm following. I want to do things His way. Regardless of how I feel often, I'm going to do it His way. And He sets you free from your sin and puts this power of the Holy Spirit inside of you that helps you take steps to be more and more like Him. You just say that. You just turn yourself over to Him. That you want His touch in your life this morning. You just, you just believe. He died on the cross in your place for your sin and rose for the, from the dead personally for you. And you just turn to Him in this moment. And I, I pray that changes you. You just, you just pray that God would change you. That Just pray it. Just tell Him you believe in Him. If, if you've made that profession of faith, then you can join in taking these elements with us this morning. And as you do, you share along with everybody else here that, that passion for Christ that, that just sets us all free. When you come up here and take part in this communion as a part of the body of Christ. And so, the way we're going to do this this morning is different than we've ever done this, okay? Um, Isn't that good? Okay? So, not that it's bad to do it the other way, because that's the way we'll do it next time, okay? So, I'm just saying, change is not a bad thing. But they're going to come up and play a song here at the end of the service. And as they play that song, there'll be some guys that I've talked to and myself We'll be over here holding these trays that has the cup and the, the bread on it. And and you just come as you want to and get those. You can take it back to your seat and, re- and take that there. You can come if you like the thought of coming to the to the altar up front, what we would consider that in, in a traditional setting. You're welcome to kneel and pray here. You're welcome to kneel and pray where you are in your seats and and take that at, at, at your leisure any time through this song, okay? Or through the end of while we're here. That, that stuff will be there, even if we put it back over there. Um, 
I'll be there. Okay. And you just come get it. So if you're not a believer, parents with kids, you know how that goes. You determine, you know where your kids are, whether they should take or not take. But we're just going to do it that way. doesn't matter how you how you want to do that. There'll be people up there holding this to serve you. And there, there's some just some freedom in how we take this this morning. Okay. The important thing is is that you take it as a believer in Christ. Okay. And so I'm going to have I've asked a, uh, three guys that they would come up and uh, help me with this this morning. So I'm at, the band can go ahead and go back. We'll pray here in just a moment. Um, to Ken and Tony, Scott, you guys come up here. You'll take that for me. You'll take that and stand there next to him. Scott, you'll take that. And all this, you just come right here. So, like I said, at your leisure, you'll just come and take um, and do that how you want to as they sing. And so I appreciate these guys being up here. Um, not all these guys are extroverts, but they're here to serve, and so I appreciate them very much. Okay. Um, so if you remember, uh, as the Lord in the night in which he was betrayed during the, the Last Supper, he took the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the bread and, and he broke it and he shared it with the disciples that were there. And so we share this today as his followers, remembering his broken body for us, that he took the punishment physically and spiritually for us this morning, that, that his body represented by this bread, his flesh, would, was torn, was beaten. He went through it, something unimaginable to us so that we could be set free. So we should take this with great thankfulness and gratitude. And the cup, which represents His blood shed for the remission of our sins, it gives us that forgiveness. Not only taking our punishment, but forgiving us. Providing a way for our sin to be covered, for us to be made white as snow so we could stand before God one day and he see us as clean, not as unholy, not as unclean. And so that too brings us to a place of great thankfulness. So as we take this, as Jesus said at night, we're taking that cup which represents the new covenant in his blood, which represents this way that which we no longer have to do these works for our salvation. It's not because of any works we can do. The blood was shed as his work for us. So there's nothing we do that earns salvation. And therefore, nothing we do that unearns that salvation. It's sealed in the blood of Christ. And so as we take this morning, we just, we just I hope your heart pours, pours out in gratitude to, to Jesus for what he has done for us. And so let's pray. And as they sing, you're welcome to come get and take as you see fit. Father, thank you for your great plan. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us on the cross in our place for our sin, that you would allow him, that he would voluntarily go to that cross and, and that your great plan for him to be beaten and take the punishment we deserve 
that he would live a perfect life and therefore be able to shed his blood for us that would bring us forgiveness. But even more than that, that your Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, would come to live inside of us as your temple now as believers. That you would give us the power to share this with everyone. That we would be so thankful and have so much gratitude in our hearts that we couldn't help but want to plan our lives around how do I use everything that you have given me and who I am to share the gospel with as many people as possible. That I would leverage everything that I am for your kingdom, Father. That more hearts could be touched. So may that gratitude we, we express this morning turn into action and see so many more people added to the family of God. May we be compelled by your love. So we thank you. Pray all of this in the beautiful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Ooh.